from the trenches. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to From the Trenches, real life in the accounting industry. My name is David Boy. I'm the CEO of Change GPS. We're joined here today with Al Newman, the Chief Revenue Officer at Dex Formerly Receipt Bank. This is a sponsored episode. Al's bought his airtime on From the Trenches. We make it very clear what's editorial and what's advertorial here. Al, welcome to the show. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, apologies in advance if uh, my answers are any way off piece because I may be suffering from jet lag, but we're going to find out now. Oh, well, well, you're in Australia, aren't you? You're in Sydney. I'm in Australia. Yeah, got in, got in, uh, got in on Friday morning. Oh, well, don't worry. Well, I'll try, to, I'll try to find some angles and see if I can get some juice out of you. Noting the tired eyes on the screen at the moment. Mate, um, thanks for joining us. The the, the CRO, I just want this to understand, where do you fit in the organisation? Exactly how rare and how thin is the air at the level that you operate at? Uh, uh, It's it's not very thin. we so the CRO sits uh, in the in the C-suite of the business, as the, as the title would suggest. And my job is, and I look after all types of revenue within the business. So the acquisition of new customers, uh, retention of customers, customer success, account management, uh, and delivery of the services that we provide. So everything that touches the customer sits within my remit. So for the many many Dex users out there who are sitting there with very large price increases at the problem at the moment, you're the person they can point the finger at. Uh, yeah, if you like, <laughs> or they can point it at their local general manager, but ultimately it's, it's my responsibility. Yeah. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the Dex journey. Um, receipt bank was hugely popular. The, you know, the, the orange machine was well known, well liked and well trusted, and it's sort of had a bit of a bumpy ride in recent times. I want to first talk about the rebrands uh, away from receipt bank into Dex. Um, why? Uh, very simple. Uh, Receipt Bank was, a, it was, as you said, a very strong brand, uh, but it did one thing and it said one thing. And over the last two to three years, we, we've acquired other companies and other businesses and other apps that do different things. And so Receipt Bank itself didn't reflect uh, the vision of the company, uh, the multi-solution sort of strategy that we had. And a rebrand is a good opportunity to tell the story in, in a different way, uh, enhance the narrative. Uh, Receipt Bank is still very much our, our core product. It's it's, it's well loved. Uh, it's still selling and growing fantastically. But uh, we had to have a, a name that represented more than a single product that we had. What is what is Dex now? You got all these other bits and pieces, all these other products. I actually think it's going to solve a problem for us in my company. But what what is it? So Dex is a is a multi platform solution now. Uh, those of you that know Receipt Bank, uh, it's a pre accounting, pre eminent pre accounting tool. Uh, we acquired another business called Xavier Analytics, uh, which has become Dex Precision, uh, which is a health check data fixing tool that sits across either Zero or QBO, uh, analyzes all the transactions and base, base in short, uh, data that comes through uh, bookkeeping and general ledgers is often weak uh, with and riddled with errors uh, and it fixes them. It tells you where they are, it helps you out, et cetera, so that you can be more efficient. We then acquired a company called Greenback in the US, which is a sales, online sales reconciliation tool. So the job of that one is to replicate what we do in the cost space for Dex Prepare uh, in the online e-commerce transaction space. It's an absolute minefield for businesses and accountants to go off to 50 marketplaces and reconcile all the data sets. And we take care of it. Uh, 
the deck's name doesn't really, it doesn't mean uh, a particular, it's not a, a verb or a noun or anything in that sense. It's a, it's a good name. It's a short name. Um, but the marketing should represent what we do and the product should stand up. It's, it's not really about the name. Uh, and marketing will shoot me for that. Probably. You use the phrase pre-accounting, not such a popular phrase in Australia. Is that bookkeeping? Uh, bookkeeping, yeah. Bookkeeping automation, uh, pre-compliance, maybe. Uh, could be a better word. Sorry if I'm, I've missed it down in, uh, down in Oz. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's about taking that real-time data through, uh, constructing it in a state where the, the accountant and bookkeeper can, can give the advice. I think that uh, there are many organizations and groups in Australia trying to rehash or rebrand bookkeeping as something else. But as far as my opinion, as far as customers are concerned, when they jump on Google, they Google bookkeeper. That's what it is. Yeah, I think the, I think the challenge with that, if I'm honest, uh, is factually that's what it is. But what it means to a business is so much more. The connotation of bookkeeping can be, oh, well, you just add stuff up in a ledger. Well, that's not what it is, right? It's taking all those data sources and turning it into advice. So I understand why people want to rehash, but yeah, fact is you, you do put it all into a ledger, but the good bookkeepers and the good accountants is what they do with that information. The next big change that's happened in Dex world is a price increase. And I, if I was having this interview with you three years ago, it'd be very different. Three years ago, I was a practitioner that used your software. Now I'm the CEO of a tech company who's done his own price increase. Uh, ours was at the absolute top end, 120%. Uh, we hadn't put our prices up for 10 years and, and we went through that process. The, so I, I, I now come with empathy for you as well as your customers. <laughs> um, what is happening in the, what is your opinion of the cost of technology? My opinion of the cost of technology. As a, as a, as a, ultimately as a, a revenue officer, I would try and spin that back to you. It's the value of the technology, uh, rather than the cost of technology. But I, I know that doesn't wash when you're, when you've got a, a change in your bill, right? I have the same with my energy bills as a, as a, you know, a consumer. So I, I understand. So cost of technology, it does go up, right? We, we are a, we're a software business, but we are, we've got a lot of humans that work here, right? And they want pay rises in the same way that accountants raise their fees, businesses charge more for it. So. Technology costs go up, um, cost of service go up, cost of people go up. Um, I think to, to go straight into the, the price rise question is we've had, rightly so, a lot of feedback in the market, not just in Australia, across the world around a kind of fractured and inconsistent pricing structure uh, due to how we've developed products historically. Were they charged by the modules? Was it charged by users? Was it charged by clients? And the single biggest feedback that I've had since I joined is very inconsistent pricing and that, that bothers people because, you know, does my peer down the road have the same solution? Is he paying more or less for it, et cetera, et cetera. Does she have this module or not? And so we're trying to harmonize uh, the product and the pricing, and we're trying to give a clear and consistent um, usage-based meter so that, you know, as your usage grows, uh, you, you pay a little bit more as your usage grows and it scales down with the more you use, which is it's not an unusual model. Um, but it, you know, I, I totally understand it's difficult when people see what, what looks like a large rise, but we've got to take a move into a, a consistent approach that's fair to everybody, you know, every, every single user that we've got, um, in the business. Is the problem of inconsistent pricing, which accounts always find out because we all get together and talk and we know what's going right. on. Is that problem bigger than a say 500% price increase, which is, I think what some of your customers on, on the very old original plans are copying. Uh, is it bigger? Not if you're the person receiving it, right? Well, you know, uh, it's very easy for me to sit there and look at, you know, we've got 
12,000 accounting firms globally using it. We've got over a million users, half a million clients, like businesses on the system. So it's very, you know, one sense easy for me to look at it and say, right, this is fair. This is the right meter. Users pay this, active clients pay this. But if I'm the end bookkeeper that's just received it, it's, you know, they don't care about my world and right, rightly so. So I can, I can argue one way or the other. Uh, but the reality is if you get a big price increase, it hurts. And I understand it. Uh, where I, where I would say we're, we're being, you know, as far as we can, we're putting huge concessions in to try and sort of, uh, taper, uh, the increase going through over a period of time. It's not just a, an increase overnight. It's, this is what it's going to be. And we're, we're, we're staggering those increases over time. I think also we, we have to be really honest, right? And, and some people were paying, we were losing money on some accounts, right? So if you're using 50 or 60 clients on our platform and paying $99, we're losing money. And we pride ourselves on having the fastest solution. It's the most stable, right? It never goes down. It's always there. The support desk is strong. We develop the product, we invest in it. And in order to do that, it's got to be a sustainable business. And to get to that point, we've got to equalize. So it's really difficult, really difficult. Um, but I think by the end of this year, we've been going through this process globally. And by the end of this year, we'll be in a position where we've got a very structured pricing model um, that everybody should be on by then, or 90% of people will be on. Um, and people will know what they pay and how much it costs to grow. And a rare part of uh, our podcast, Alex, I just ask questions or proffer my own opinions. In fact, it started because me and Paul were just angry accounts who wanted to be heard. Okay. Uh, I think it's we're a bit more nuanced now, but here's my advice to, to everyone out there running a business in the accounting industry. Plan a 10% increase in software prices every year in your P&L across the board. It's just going to happen. It's, it's just going to keep happening. Can I, can I, can I, if you're frustrated and angry by it, go sit in on the Ignition or Change GPS webinars that show you word for word how to reprice your clients so that it doesn't impact how much money you take home to your family. It's just the reality of business at the moment. Agreed. And as a, as, a, as a software vendor, we get this from our vendors, right? Our big CRMs have got long-term contracts with those prices baked in. Our server costs, you know, be it Amazon, be it Microsoft Azure, it's all baked in. Um, software costs go up. Um, so I think it's really good advice. As long as you're doing that to your customers as well, uh, their prices go up, right? Trading's prices are going up. I'm having a renovation done. It's costing a lot more this year than it did last year uh, because costs go up and it's hard. And there is solution. There are solutions out there, some of which we we have that can help you with that. Uh, but I think it's it's very sound advice. I, I think one of the other things that makes this industry a bit more challenging to sort of navigate around pricing is uh, not everyone charges the same and in the same way, right? Some people wear the cost of technology in the accounting firm. Some people on charge at cost as a disbursement, and some people mark it up and make a margin. So it becomes depending on the type of firm you are can determine whether these price increases are really easy to consume um, or not. Um, so I think your advice about baking in a price rise is, is very sad. The, the markup uh, and on-sell model, I think, is going out of fashion. It was really popular when firms first started. The first group of firms started offering tech solutions for their clients where you could buy uh, bulk in zero and Wayne Schmidt would stand at an event waving his hands talking about the massive rebates that you got as you grew up the zero partner program. I think Dex did it as well when you first sold your big receipt bank, sold it big bundles. The, the marginal cost was so cheap. Some firms have baked it in um, with prices going up. You've got this cost base that you can't control and you have to have a difficult conversation with your customer about software costs because you're taking margin. When you've already got 30 other difficult conversations you might need to have with them as well, it's it's a tough 
tough business model to keep on top of if, if people still running it. It really is. And it can, it can get harder. It can be very hard if you're a small firm because it's not your core business. And it can be hard if you're a big firm because you're managing huge. There's a, there's a firm I know in the UK that manages something like a, it's 150,000 pounds a quarter disbursements in software. It's almost a full-time job for somebody. And that, the canons as a rule don't go into it, but, you know, to their profession for, to do that. Right. So it's hard. And we, we, we understand that. One of the, um, the interesting things I've noticed over the years, and I think it's happened with various levels of success. And I, I, I've always, I actually don't envy a, a, a supplier to the accounting world like Dext, because you need to sell to accountants and you then, and, and BAS agents or pre-accountants, and you then have to get them to sell to their clients. Do you ever sit back and think, geez, accountants are really busy. This is actually a bit tough. Maybe we should, we should take our foot off the pedal for a little bit. Because they're your sales force to an extent. Yeah, it, it, it is tough. Um, and we try and do, you know, we try to help as much as possible. Like we write content to help accountants or buzz agents to, you know, to share, share this content with their end clients. Um, some firms take the approach, you know, we've got one end of the scale, you've got firms that won't accept a new client unless they're using, for example, Zero, Practice English or Ignition now and Dext. And you've got others where it's very much a choice depending on the end customer. So foot off the gas. Um, I wouldn't, no, no, it's our business, right? Our business is selling and helping accounting, accountants and bookkeepers. So we can't take off off the gas or we, or we don't grow as a company. I, I wouldn't like to think we are sort of pushy and aggressive, right? We, we don't force people to buy it. Um, but yeah, it, it, is a, it is a tough channel because accountants, inc- well, more so over the last 24 months have had, you know, bigger fish to fry than, you know, what type of, you know, bookkeeping solution they, they use, right? They've, they've had the pandemic to deal with. Now we've got all the cost of living crisis and, you know, energy costs changing, you know, supply chain things to deal with. Um, and so software becomes almost a frustrating part of something they have to deal with. And, and our job is to make that as easy as possible, but it's not easy. I always felt that, uh, thank you for that very honest answer, actually. Um, I've always felt that Dex fit within the, the Baz agent community, really, obviously, and that it kind of always struggled to find its real value prop for accountants. There are niche accounts who specialize in tech solutions for their clients. And if they do it, everyone who does it reports how in demand it is. But eventually yeah. they need to hire someone to manage it. And that, that skill set's very hard to hire for. Um, what's the value prop at the moment for Dext for accountants who, you know, they might say to a client, oh, check this out, it might be good for you. But then the client's left in their own devices to integrate, implement, set up. And then usually it's the account who gets frustrated because it's set up wrong, in, implemented badly, and ends up creating more work than, than the old way. Um, yeah. Where are you sitting with accountants at the moment? I think it's very different. I mean, I, I have a kind of global lens on it. And if I, if I look at our global business, we, we are sort of boots on the ground, as it were, in UK. From the trenches. And, and the US. Uh, what, what I've noticed is actually the, the uh, Australia and Canadian regions act very similarly like the, the structure of how accountants and bookkeepers interact together the, the topography demography geographies are very similar you have a, a huge uh, volume of bookkeeping firms uh but the sort of like the mid-tier firms are, are smaller in volume than maybe the uk and in france so my, my job is to look across and develop these value propositions for for, for all aspects of them in, in all regions i think in the, ostensibly my, my view is 
and I try and step back and say, look, if I if I was back in business, I had a small business before years ago. I had a, a coffee shop and a bakery. Would I would I use Dext? Would it have made my life any better? Yes. But so, would, I, would I buy a bagel and a coffee off you? That's really kind, uh, but there's a reason I went back into software. <laughs> bad, bad pricing, bad supply chain, and, and, and average coffee. But anyway, um, so I think the, the value to accounting firms, I, I would argue, yes, there is an investment in an accounting firm to do it, but I, I would argue that without a shadow of a doubt, any firm, any business that is properly set up, next prepare in their end business is going to be more, you know, more efficient and it's going to make it easier for the accountant. It's end off. Um, and it's our job to make that set up and transfer that value to the accountant to want to invest the time in doing it. Because especially, and I, I think it's similar down in Australia, but more, you know, hyper prevalent in the UK, there's a huge, huge talent problem with bringing new bookkeeping and accountants into the into the space that the talent problem is, is enormous. And so if we can build a solution that does the, the grunt work, as it were, like the processing of the transactions, um, you know, at 10 times the speed of a, of a human, which it does, uh, then we've got to be onto a winner. But we, our job is to find this, that very small minute of time in an accountant's day to, to persuade them that it's the right thing to do. Innovation is um, an interesting topic at the moment. I'm sort of developing my own ideas. I suppose at a macroeconomic level, I think Australia plays innovation pretty safe most of the time. Uh, for macroeconomic conditions, mainly we can dig stuff out of the ground and sell it to somebody else for a huge profit, a huge margin, and that just kind of saves our economy time and time again. Um, and also, you know, property prices just seem to never ever go down here. So at a household level, we don't have much of an incentive to take on risk. But right. in the tech world, which, oh, you know, we might do a show on that um, as I uh, start grandstanding a little bit more about that watching uh, the Australian election at the moment. The role of innovation, though, in a tech company is pretty interesting because there's this expectation in the customer base that if you don't release new things, you are going backwards. And it's insane because the thing that you have might be brilliant, massively underutilized by the customer who's got it at the moment, solve all of their problems, create a huge return on investment to it. But there is this perception that if there's nothing new coming out, if they don't have something to talk about, then they're becoming maligned, um, they're probably maybe going backwards, oh, they must be doing badly, they don't have money to invest in product, accounting. They're pulling, out, they're pulling out, they're leaving. They're leaving, they're leaving. Right? Yeah, they can't keep their staff, it's just a churn, yeah. he used to be there, she used to be there, she's gone. It's like, yeah. I hear these stories all the time. So in your space, where is the innovation? Where are the new products? What's going yeah. on? So, in a, I mean, Top level, in the last two years, we bought two very, very good companies, right? One was Xavier Analytics, which is uh, very, very strong in the in the post sort of transaction area. Uh, and then Greenback, which I mentioned, which is now Dex Commerce, which is the online sales rec. So we, we bought a couple. As, as you grow as a company, you, you've really got to get the buy, build or partner sort of strategy right. You can't, you won't build everything forever. And there's a reason why startups start, right? They, they're better at it than some of the bigger companies like, like we are now. So that there's those two. I think innovation, you're absolutely right. I think just to sort of go off a little bit, what, what accountant I spoke to said one day he got 85 vendor emails in his inbox, right? Some of them were new vendors trying to sell him some stuff to change his world. Some of their existing vendors trying to meet up to re-explain to him that what he bought will change their world. Uh, and, and others were saying, why did you leave us? We could have changed your world, right? Um, and so it, this all goes back to how 
how very, very busy accountants and bookkeepers are and how vendors need to understand that technology is a solution that should just go in, work and, and get the job done. And they don't necessarily want to hear from you every day, but you, you need to be there when they need you. So for example, in Index Prepare, our extraction stability and turnaround time, the thing that is very, very important to accountants, the speed at which it takes that receipt, how accurate it is and how quickly it gets it into the system and into the ledger has improved by, I don't know, 80% over the last three years, right? We can't market that as innovation. That's just expected of us as a, as a vendor that says we do that really well. So there's loads of that stuff going on. Um, there's an ABN check that's just come out, uh, Index Prepare, the ABN validator, right? That's really hard to go and do a boat party about, Dave, right? Because who, who cares, right? But that is being told accountants and bookkeepers in Australia telling my team, we love it, thank you. But is it innovation? Come on, not really. Um, we've just launched uh, in our top product of Practice Insights, which takes the client view into more detail. So all about efficiency and automation. Which of your clients are submitting late? How can you have a conversation with them about them about being more efficient? Why haven't you got these categorized? Why haven't you auto-published them? You c- I could argue for an hour that that's boring and dull, but hyper-efficient. But it's really, really important stuff on feedback from customers that they want they want us to build. But there comes a point where you can't badge everything up as innovation and stick a huge PPC ad around it all. It's just really good stuff. The product's moving forward and it's, and it's making a difference. So it's, it's, it's hard to badge everything as innovation, but man, we are. There's no doubt about it. The product is continually, continually getting better. How long have you been at Dex for? Three years. Three years in all. Three years in all. Well, yeah. Pleasing to know that a C-level executive that's been at Dex for three years is aware of the famous receipt bank boat parties of years past. I think many people myself included are looking forward to an invitation to the next one a very good night out uh, a really good example of venture capital backed tech knowing how to spend their money a really good example uh, well, yeah knowing knowing how to spend money. <laughs> yeah well, it is a podcast we've got some bunny ears there yeah but we're still talking about it right no i get no I, absolutely um but my, my job is to make sure that Next prepare gets better this year, next year, and the year after, uh, and that we're a sustainable business and that we're going to be around. And there's different phases of companies, right? And uh, at some point, you've got to choose, do I spend my million dollars this year on five more devs to make extraction better and faster and the platform more stable, or do I spend it on a yacht? And honestly, you know, it's not, not as fun, but I'll invest it in the product. All right. Uh, next time I see you, let's hire a yacht. <laughs> on, 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 your, on your ticket, no problem. <laughs> yeah, well, we might need to put our prices up so I can do that. The, well, the, if you do that, I'm going to complain. Yeah. Um, the um, role, the, the, the funny thing about Australia, and I don't know if this is a global thing, but I expect the UK is pretty similar. Um, Australian business is very much relationship-based. The products that work the best and have a strong brand reputation I'm not talking about revenue, but just have a strong reputation in Australia, have individuals whose names and faces sit on the front of their corporate brands. They don't hide behind their logos. And the ones who do that invariably do well in Australia. I've got plenty of examples of it. Uh, Guy at Practice Ignition was very front of business. Now it's Beck and Ethan. Myself and Tim Munro put ourselves in front of our brand all the time. Um, uh, Trent Innes was always in front of Zero always whenever you have the opportunity to and it becomes a very relationship-based business 
Um, I have, to make fun of our joke before, observed a bit of a revolving door of senior people at Dex in Australia. In your, with a global lens though, how do you keep your customer relationships in a global business where there is a talent pool where people are moving all over the place? Tech, by the way, is the same as accountants for the dear listeners out there. It's hard to get people at the moment, really, really hard. We've got the same problems that you have trying to attract talent. Um, so globally, how does Dex keep relationships with their customers? And and, and I'm going to put a, a, a caveat, a, I'm going to frame it a little differently as well. I think that the best C-level execs keep close to their customers and they don't hide in their boardroom behind spreadsheets and reports that other people wrote for them. What do you reckon? First of all, I do some of my own reports, okay? So I just want to make that clear. That, <laughs> um, but it, look, it's a, it's a, you're right. Um, and I think the, the last couple of years have, have made it really, really hard, right? It's made us think differently about it because we, we can't just get on a plane and do an event and catch up, which is, which is historically how, how we did a lot of our sort of, you know, our big bang relationship stuff were based on in-person events and, and they went away. And we had to find different ways of, you know, communicating with, with our partners. It's, you know, we're, we're on all the roadshows with Zero at the moment. You know, we're, we're up in Brisbane tomorrow. I'm at the Zero one on Friday. So I'd love to speak to as many sort of partners as possible. Um, but that's only one aspect of, of, of customer relationship management, right? We, we have, as, as you grow in a company, you know, I've had this, I've worked at, you know, I've been at Sage for a few years. I was at a big firm in the UK called Iris, which is, you know, the preeminent compliance um, software solution. And as you grow, people move around and it's really, really hard. Again, trying to sit, I was an accountant in practice, by the way, for, for six years. So I, I try and sit on the other side of the table. Right, and it, drove, it drove you to a coffee shop, did it? It, it, it drove me to Sage. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then to Iris and then to a coffee shop and then back. Um, but, you know, the, the, my, my, my job is always to try, whenever a decision is made or thinking is trying to sit on the other side of the table and say, this feels good on paper on the report, but what how, what does it mean to that end person? And our, our job is to try and balance the right ratio of you know physical people to to be there at the end of the phone with the increasing desire of people to um, serve themselves, right? You know, in, in some respect, the perfect solution. When I go on to Vodafone about my phone, I don't want to speak to a human because that chatbot is so good; it feels like a, a friend, right? And I don't want to engage uh, with my phone supplier. But actually, a bookkeeper or an accountant does want to engage with a human on, on a far more deep level. And so that, you know, this is all adding up. So we've got, we've got to do better at it. We have had change in the company in Australia and, and across the world, like, like most tech companies have. And it's a, it's a constant challenge with being able to motivate our teams to stay for a long period of time because everything else feels more exciting versus keeping the same account manager for uh, an account bookkeeper for a sustained period of time. So I think my answer to it is it's not easy. Uh, we're constantly working on it. It's not something we we don't feel is exceptionally important, but we haven't cracked the perfect code on it yet. And it's a constant evolution. You can't ask for much more than a, a C-level exec who shows the humility to answer a question. And honestly, thank you very much. The, uh, what new product have you got? If I want to buy Dex right now, what should I click on? What's cool and exciting? What, well, uh, let me go into a sales motion. So let's talk about your problems. Oh, mate. That was that was the that was the easiest lob you're going to find in your podcast interview life. Dep- depends. Like if you if you are if you are an accountant bookkeeper and you have got bookkeeping clients, then 
you'd be, you, in my view, you'd be crazy not to at least take a trial, right? You get a 30 day trial with it, you get on boarding with it, right? There's absolutely zero risk to come and try the product with us and challenge me that it's not the best thing out there, right? So we try to de risk the, the decision making, do it and call me, right? To give people my number. You try it for a month and it's not the best thing you've ever used in that space, give me a call and let's have a chat about it. If you're, if you're selling online, or you have customers or clients that are selling online, check out commerce, right? It, it revolutionizes the um, the online sales reconciliation. I, I didn't even know there was a problem, right? When we when we first got the MA paper for it, I, I, I'm an ex-accountant. I've been in this business for 20 years. I didn't even know there was a real problem that needed solving until we did the due diligence, on, due diligence on it. And when you look into like Square, after all these marketplaces, and then a business that ostensibly is quite small, but has got to sell on 15 different marketplaces, reconcile all of that data, then get it into zero. It's 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 a bigger problem than, than general bookkeeping to some degree. So if you've got that, click on that. And if you've got a load of clients on zero and and QBO, whether you're doing their bookkeeping or not, their data is probably not as good as it should be, right? And you're probably not checking everything as uh, automating the checks as much as possible. And if you think you could possibly, you know, rise, raise some prices somewhere, so to dig that back in, have a look at Precision. Uh, talk a bit about a bit more corporate strategy for Dex, if I can. Um, prices, uh, revenue multiple prices in the top software industry, at least in the public markets, is pretty much tanked down 30, 40, 50%, sometimes more. Obviously, crypto has been absolutely eliminated over the last week. Um, but what we're seeing in the, uh, your eyes lit up, and I'm wondering how much you lost. The, uh, nothing. Nothing, because maybe rightly or wrongly, I thought it was a stupid idea, and I still do. I'm honest. I, I keep a close eye on it, but I never put it. I never. I, I created a, an account on uh, Cointree and, and um, never bought anything. The, anything that's that volatile to me, I'm 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 still an accountant at heart. Right? I'm risk averse. Yeah. Um, but despite those prices tapering off, we've seen a fair amount of M and A activity over the last three months. Um, Sage has gone on a binge. They've bought Futurely, uh, Autotask, I think, and Go Proposal. Yeah. Uh, Intuit's bought Data Deer. So that's two reporting apps that have been snatched out of the market. Is Dex is getting pretty big? You just you mentioned some numbers before. Uh, Twelve was it? Twelve million. Twelve firms, about a million users globally. Yep. Is the Dex planning to be someone who's big enough that you can? start buying and bolting onto your platform or eventually is this this big dream because you get to a stage there's only three or four people bigger than so who's going to buy it yeah um it's it's interesting when we chat to our chairman around this um he gets quite annoyed uh because you know you get to our stage and a lot of people and and, and our own people say what's the you know what's the exit plan and he said the exit plan is build a bloody good company um and the rest of it will take care of itself so that, that's quite a that's quite a, 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 a sort of a swervy type of answer. Um, no, we do, mate. It's right? a kick and hope Australian balance. Right. No, it's um, that we bought two companies, right? And the job for those is to integrate those two businesses in and make sure they fit in, in with the strategy. We're always on the lookout for com- complementary products, right? I, but I think what's the, the, regardless of how big you get, what you have to do is you have to, you have to tick a box, right? When you look at another company's. Does it ladder up to our strategy and our, and our mission? And our mission is to help accountants and bookkeepers serve their clients, right? Now, that could be with a product that works 
in the business, such as Dex Prepare, such as Dex Commerce, and works with the accountant as well. It could be a product that works purely uh, for the accountant, like Precision, right? Clients don't use Precision in that way. So as we're looking at all the M&A opportunities out there, they have to take very, very clear boxes, right? Are they are they very, very strong brand products? You know, are they well loved by their existing customer base? And do they do they tick the box in our, in our strategy? So we will buy if it ticks those boxes, and we will walk away if it doesn't. And we have done. Uh, any final message you want to share for the DDR Australian? I've got a few UK listeners out there, Al. Okay. Um, no, no specific message other than that if you're in Brisbane at the show tomorrow, uh, I'd love to see you. And if you're at the Sydney event on Friday, I'd love to see you as well. Uh, but, you know, the, the feedback that we get is not unheard, right? You, you've raised some of those questions on, on, the, on the cast today. Uh, we, you know, we don't get it right all the time, but we listen and, and we're trying to get, you know, the, the things that we need to get better, we, we're working on. And the stuff that we're doing well, we're trying to carry on with. Um, but under no circumstances are we not heavily present in the Australian market, because I know that's been some feedback on some Facebook groups, but let me, you know, come and see us, give me a call. You know, there's a, there's a decent sized team down here trying to look after you. So uh, we're not going anywhere. Right? Australia is our, I think our second biggest market. Um, and so we're, we're not going anywhere. We love it. Sorry, mate. I can't let that be the last question. Can you just touched on something? Well, are, Facebook, are Facebook groups your friend or your enemy? <laughs> Uh, you can ask that question to literally any software vendor. Uh, they can be both, right? I think you, you you will you will never you will never please all the people all of the time. Um, and the the way that I look at it is, if if somebody is unhappy enough to go and post something in a Facebook group, they're either uncomfortable having a conversation with directly. That's our fault, right? Or you've done something enough to annoy them enough that they've had to post it in the public domain. That's our fault. So the short answer is. They, they can be both, but they're very, very good for us because what you get, in, certainly in those groups that we're not contributing to, which I think are a really good idea, by the way, they're not sponsored, they're not controlled, there's no secondary sort of you know, feed going into it. I think they're excellent because you get, you get reality and you get raw feedback and it's our job to, to deal with it. So they're, they're, they're frenemies, those groups. Uh, I, they're the best role they play if you are particularly a sole practitioner um, they cure your loneliness. And I think sometimes just ask questions in there that I think are dumb. But people just want a voice. They just want to be heard. They just want to find some camaraderie. Um, and I can probably be a bit more uh, specific on my feedback than you. When they turn into a pylon, which they often do, uh, they are as bad for the mental health of the support teams of tech, the, the tech that you're using, or the person you're trying to engage with, uh, as anything. And I've experienced that. I've seen it. Um, and I wonder, I look at some of the language that people write in Facebook groups and I wonder, would you watch your kids talking to people like that? It's, it's, yeah. It gets quite severe sometimes. And I think you guys copped it. Yeah, we did. We did. Uh, and then on the flip side of it, you read those groups where somebody jumps in and defends you and, and asks for it like, you know, hey guys, let's, let's, yeah. let's breathe here, right? Let's breathe and think about this genuinely. But you're right. At the end of the, the person reading that is a, is a human on my team, and we do get upset. We are we are people. There are support people there that try really hard to help, and they do feel, they do feel it. But you know, as a vendor, it comes with the territory, I think. And and as you know, social media is a, is a very easy way to uh, uh, you know to voice concerns and, and criticism, and and that's okay. It's, our job is to to deal with it. I think this show 
probably normalized and popularized having a voice and speaking back to the big tech companies. So I can't, uh, I can't, I sow the seeds here. I can't complain too much. Al, thanks very much for joining us on From the Trenches. If you want to find out more about Dex Prepare or the Dex products, head to dex.com, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Head to dex.com or say good at the road shows or just reach out to your account manager and have a chat. Thanks very much, Al. We'll see you in Sydney at the end of the week. Yeah, looking forward to it. Thanks. Thanks again for listening to an episode of From the Trenches. David and I love to hear from listeners, so you can reach out if you've got feedback or story ideas, get in touch. I can be reached on Twitter at PaulMeissner underscore or on LinkedIn, Paul Meissner. I'm on Twitter at David Boyar, B-O-Y-A-R, on LinkedIn, David Boyar. From the Trenches.